You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast, The Temptations episode. We are talking about Papa was a Rolling Stone. Treat her like a lady. (laughs) My girl. So, well, I think so. I didn't listen to the sermon last week, so that's a, I'm assuming what we're talking about from the notes here. So, but with us today, we have Pastor Darren Enns. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Good. Excited for today's episode. Absolutely. After that intro, especially. Oh, yes. So, Pastor Drew Tarwater, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Always a pleasure. <laughs> and I'm Rob Blasey. Thank you for listening. Uh, so, Temptations, that's what you talked about last week, Drew. Uh, give us the quick recap of that. Yeah, we're not talking about the Motown singer group, The Temptations. Yeah, talking Drew, about- we, we had a doo-wop arrangement that we did the other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, talking about The Temptation of Jesus. And you, you see a couple different gospel writers will talk about this temptation. Um, you know, Mark, um, Matthew. We, we camped out in Luke chapter 4. And looked at the temptation of Jesus. And uh, I love the imagery of this temptation because you see Jesus coming out of the water, being baptized. You know, the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus. God says, Jesus is my son. And then immediately Jesus goes out, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he's fasting and being tempted. And sometimes we think of that fasting as like, oh, Jesus has gone and he's fasting. He's not eating so that he's even uh, more vulnerable. But I think there's a picture here of Jesus fasting as the spiritual strength that he has as he's facing the temptations. And so Luke and the other gospel authors give us these three main temptations that Jesus faces. Um, You know, the devil says, hey, you're hungry, so turn these stones into bread. Uh, The devil takes Jesus up on this mountain and shows him the the kingdoms of the world and says, hey, if you you worship me, I'll give all these to you. And then the, the third one, is Jesus goes up on the on the you know the, the temple mount and the devil says, "Hey, look look down, throw yourself down, prove that you're God, and the angels will catch you." And we see that Jesus responds to each of those with the word of God. And what's interesting, and we'll talk more about this here in a minute, but he responds with by quoting the Old Testament. But he's not just quoting random verses; he's actually pointing back to situations in the Old Testament where Israel failed. So when Israel was in the wilderness and they failed. Jesus is now in the wilderness and he's succeeding. And so this this beautiful picture of Jesus is bringing in the new Israel. He's fixing what God's people messed up before and points us back to Adam and Eve and the temptations they failed in the garden. So there's just so much in this temptation. It's going to be fun to unpack it today, but I don't even think we're going to be able to cover it all in just this podcast. No, it's interesting to think about. And then uh, like there's a you talked about the sermon was more in math or in Luke, but there was a more of a story of it in Matthew as well, right, Darren? Um, yeah, Matthew recounts it a little bit, um, and this is where my um, my Bible study and I hung out on Thursday, um, which is in Matthew. Uh, 
Yeah, Matthew 4, chapter 4 as well. Um, There's some different nuances uh, between the two. I think they have a different order as well. So if you're interested in figuring what that is, you go go look at it and, you know, see uh, based on what you know of Matthew and the audiences they're writing to and in Luke as well, you know, you can see if, if there's any significance in the order that they have. But um, Matthew, <clears throat> since we've been hanging out in Luke, um, I think we talked about this a little bit last week too, that Matthew is writing towards primarily Jewish people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so he he's presenting Jesus in Old Testament terms and trying to under, uh, help them see that Jesus is a new, like he's a second Moses, he's the second Adam, he's another Israel, uh, and he he's kind of fitting. These stories are all calling back to these stories that we've had uh, in the greater story as well. So again, last week we talked about genealogy, how Matthew 1, um, Matthew is showing that Jesus is from the line of Abraham, and then they go to Exodus, or sorry, they go to Egypt to replay the Exodus because they actually come out of Exodus, and you have stories about Herod um, killing a, a lot of young young infants, uh, just like Moses or Moses. Moses didn't do that. What's his name? Pharaoh, <laughs> Pharaoh uh, just yeah. like Pharaoh did. Um, and then they go. Israel goes through the Red Sea, while Jesus goes into the Jordan, and he's baptized through that way. They go through the desert, just like Drew mentioned. Uh, Jesus was forty days in the wilderness, um, just like uh, Israel was. And then coming up here in, in Matthew, I won't give too much away, but as as Jesus starts to call his first disciples, uh, everyone, or not, most people listening to this podcast probably know that Jesus formed 12 disciples. Well, that's supposed to remind us of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus is forming a new people. Just like God formed a new people, Jesus is bringing 12 people into existence here as, as kind of a new Israel. And then the really interesting part about Matthew is that there are five kind of um, five sections where Jesus teaches. And the first big one is the Sermon on the Mount in uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so it's kind of like he's giving a new law where he refers to the, the Torah and says, hey, actually, here's, here's the thing behind it. Here's how I look at the Torah. And actually, it's tougher than you think. You can't just, you know, not kill someone. You also got to not be anger, angry towards, towards people. And he's kind of given this new law. So that's kind of how Matthew presents Jesus, especially in the first uh, several chapters of his gospel in the lines of, you know, of new, new Moses, Adam, and Israel. I think it's super cool, the imagery and the fulfillment of this picture of Israel. You know, as Christians, we so often don't even consider this. You know, it's 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 in the text, it's there, but, you know, Matthew doesn't, and, and Luke don't give us this big banner. Hey, Jesus came and, and notice what he did. You know, it's it's kind of subtle. And so you can spend your whole life reading the, you know, the gospel accounts and, and kind of miss, you know, we we aren't the best at spending time in our Old Testaments and uh, anyways, and so we sometimes miss how Jesus came and fulfilled all these things. So I think there's this really cool imagery, and that's just what's so beautiful about Scripture is the more you mine it, the more gold you find. And so, yeah, here's this picture of Jesus. We always think about the temptations as Jesus fulfilling where mankind has failed, which they are about that. But they're also, there's this beautiful theme of Jesus redeeming what Israel was meant to be as God's people and, and bringing it all together for us. And the biggest one, Drew, you mentioned it, was that um, Adam, 
and Eve as humanity, the first humans and humanity's representative, they had chances to to pass this this test, this temptation. Um, but where they failed, Jesus is the one who 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 kind of fulfilled that. And so also uh, a couple weeks ago, Drew, you talked about the whole virgin birth thing. So mm-hmm. along with that, theology means that that Jesus is. Um, he 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 wasn't born in the vein of other humans. Like his, his father, you know, kind of spiritual father was the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and that means that he he has this divinity type thing. But um, he 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 is born in a different vein. He was born really like Adam was. He he was formed by God Himself, and so he he doesn't have what what the Christian doctrine says as like original sin or a, a rebellious nature. And so he has the choice, to, just like Adam had the choice, uh, whether or not to rebel against God or to not rebel against God. And where Adam failed and introduced this problem that humanity has, uh, Jesus was able to, to not sin and, and really trust God, trust his Father. Yeah, and what's cool about that is you think about, and I, and I tried to articulate this a little bit yesterday in, in, the, in the message, but it's, it's a tough concept. You know, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So there's a lot of debate. Could he have sinned in these temptations? Well, because of his divine nature as God, he can't sin. But because of his physical nature as fully man, he does have the power to physically act. So I, you know, I told the joke, like, what if Darren and, and Rob, if I said, hey, guys, I want you to go rob your best friend's house, right? Go steal his favorite baseball cards. And you would say, man, why would I do that? It's my buddy. But physically, you could break into his house, steal his baseball cards. Jesus physically could have turned the stone into bread, but as God, he couldn't have sinned. So he was fully tempted, yet because of who he is as the divine son of God, he was able to resist that temptation. No, it's interesting to think that way. So then what's the, uh, Drew, as we're talking here, the difference between like a temptation and a test? We hear that yeah, quite a bit. I- Right. And sometimes even in your, whichever Bible translation you have, it might say Jesus was tested in the wilderness, you know? And so um, it's easy to say, okay, well, hold on. What's this difference between testing and tempting? I, what, I, what I like to do is I like to pull in some other text and see what is God saying about this. And, you know, there's uh, the scripture that we find in the book of James and James chapter one. And, and basically James is saying, um, James 1, 13 through 15. Let me read it for you. James says this. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So James is saying, God is good. He says later in verse 17 that God is the giver of all good things. And so God can't tempt us but God can test us. And so let me just give you one example. So go back to the Garden of Eden. This is when we first see the tempter, right? When we first see the devil. In the Garden of Eden, God says, hey, Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a test, right? God's testing our faithfulness. When the devil comes in, he says, ooh, did God really say you would die if you eat that fruit? Ooh, Surely you won't die. You should eat it because when you do, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Well, that's a temptation, right? The devil's tempting Adam and Eve. So they give in to the temptation, but they also failed the test. And so I think sometimes in our lives, God may allow certain things in our lives to test our faithfulness. 
But God himself isn't sending any temptation. He's not, he's not giving us the temptation to fail at sin, but God does allow things to test our faithfulness. So I'll bring in just some of the Greek here. Um, interestingly, in all four, go- in all three gospel accounts where this is, <clears throat> um, where this story is told, the same word for tempting and testing is used. It's called perazo, which is uh, the word that it's translated for uh, tempting in Mark and Luke. If you look at the NIV, but interestingly in Matthew, that word is translated as as test. So the same word, even in the three gospels. Are, are translated differently. So it's just kind of an interesting thing, like the, the translation committee decided uh, in Matthew to, to change it up, the people who were translating that. So um, the the difference really is, like, as a, as a former school teacher and someone who's married to a, a, still a school teacher, like, when we give our students tests, it's not to hope to see them fail. Like, we really want them to succeed in the hopes that their the truth of their knowledge will be revealed. And so when we come across these circumstances in our own lives, just like Jesus did, the true nature of our faith, it's a chance for, the, for our, our nature to be revealed. And how we've been spending our time, how we've been prioritizing our, our faith in God, whether we've been spending time with Him or whether we've been spending time with the world, will probably come out in, in the result of that test. So if we're you know devoted to God and, and know what He says is good for us, we will have a much higher chance of getting an A on that test or, or getting a B. So uh, luckily, God doesn't grade us. Um, there is a certain element of like, our faith in him gives us the A plus, like, uh, and, and yet even in our sin, God desires for us to grow and he desires for us to continue to, to trust in him and know what is good so that in these circumstances we can react to these tests the right way. Yeah, I love that, that, you know, because of Jesus for us, you know, we have an A plus. I also love in this that because of the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to resist temptation. You know, Paul talks about that in like Romans 7 and Romans 8, right? Like because of the Holy Spirit, we now don't have to use our, as Paul says, our members, like our our body, our life for evil, but we can now do it for good. Whereas before Jesus changed our hearts, we, we were just basically in, you know, slaves to temptation. But now we can actually say no and fight and have victory over temptation. So it is just this beautiful reality that we have in Jesus. It is significant that in all these gospel accounts, this testing comes after his baptism and after the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, because the Holy Spirit really is the thing. It's the forerunner of of what we as Christian believers now also have in our own lives. We we have this power to resist these temptations and and to... um, and to pass those tests in a way that the Israelites seemed not to have. There was something, and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, there's something that is wrong with humanity that the Israelites can't quite like figure it out. We look back and see, how could they do this? Well, one, we are often in the same boat and we fail too, but mm-hmm. actually there is an interesting level of accountability that Christians have with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the same thing Jesus had, and it, and we can pass the test. We can resist that temptation. And of course, as we're talking about like temptation versus test, like a cookie on the counter when I'm on a diet is a temptation. Uh, but it's also like, like a test. <laughs> Am I really faithful to this diet? It's going to reveal the true inner motives of my heart, right? But I, it's super significant that this story comes after 
the Holy Spirit des- descends upon Jesus. So the test is when I'm pushing the grocery cart through King Supers and walking through the bakery part. <laughs> yes. That- for whatever reason, that that test for me is easy to pass. Like I've never been tempted in the grocery store, but it's when my mother-in-law, and I know she listens to this, it's when my mother-in-law brings home the giant cookies from community <laughs> ministry. That is, that's the temptation for me. Well, you don't <laughs> want them to go to waste. That'd be rude. Well, yeah, but I don't want I don't want that temptation in my bait. Sometimes I'm like, yes, cookie, and other other times I'm like, uh, temptation. Yeah, it depends for me whether I'm hungry or not. You know, if I've had dinner, I'm great. But if I haven't had dinner, man, that that sweet aisle with the Twinkies is looking really good. Well, isn't that interesting though? I'm, you guys know the verses better than I do. Like where it's like, you know, be filled on the Holy Spirit, things like that. So it's like if you're in the Word, studying the Word, it's less likely when you're hungry something else to sort of fill that gap that God's put in, you know, put in your heart. Right. Like where Paul says in in Philippians four, you like focus on what's good, what's pure, what's noble, you know, those kind of things. Uh, You know, Jesus says in Matthew six 33, you know, just seek the kingdom and, and, and uh, the things above. And yeah, I think there's a reality to that. Like what you're, what you're chewing on, right. What you're focusing on, uh, you are what you eat, and and so if we can be, stay focused on God's word and fill in our heart and our minds with the good stuff, it's gonna it's gonna help us to to fight off those temptations. And that's what we see Jesus do, right? He's he's not just quoting these stories in the Old Testament where Israel failed and he's gonna succeed, but he uses the word of God also as a weapon against the devil in these temptations, so that he he can defend himself. And we see that after these forty days of temptation, which by the way I mentioned this yesterday. We only are listed with three temptations, but it says he's tempted for 40 days. And so does that mean that every 13 days, devil came back and tempted him again? Or does that mean that he had temptation after temptation, but these are the three big ones that are are brought before us? We don't know that answer, but it's pretty interesting to think about. For 40 days, man, maybe the devil came every day to tempt him, and we just have these three listed. No, that's interesting to think about with that, and especially with the number 40 being like a significant like with number of testing in the bible like 40 days and 40 nights in the ark you know it's a mm-hmm. it's a consistent number like is it historical number or is it like a like a literal or literarily number hmm. you know, it's, that, i mean that that's the key isn't it yeah like it's it, it's it is for certain a uh a, a literary number where we're supposed to relate these things i, I think that's without a doubt um I, I tend to read the Bible and like if it was 39 days, like I, I'm not going to be angry with the Bible. <laughs> right. Like the, the, the Bible, we talk about the Bible being reliable uh, in, in the fact that like even even if it was 42 days or or 39, like it, it doesn't really matter because the Bible is intending to communicate this these things that we're talking about. Not like we haven't we haven't talked about whether or not the Bible is true in the sense that it was an actual 40 days. Like, that doesn't necessarily matter. Now, we certainly think that it was 40 days, but if, if we hopped in a time machine and uh, got in, in a spaceship and, and had a satellite going down to Jesus in the wilderness and it ended up being 39 days, like, it's not going to matter. No. Absolutely. <laughs> so. right. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, too, you know, it just shows God's sovereignty and God's in control because the way he does use numbers, you know, conveys these things, you know, 40 days of testing. Like you said, the flood was 40 days. When Moses killed the Egyptian, remember, he fled to Midian for 40 years. 
you know, Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days, 40 nights, um, right? It's just, you know, Israel wandered for 40 years. I mean, there's just so many 40s. Um, so I think, you know, God is in control of, of time. And, and like you said, you know, Darren, if it was 39, we're not going to get upset about that. But I think God also shows us that, like, he cares about things in detail. Um, so he uses this 40 to teach us something. Uh, but I think there's a literal 40 here for Jesus as well. Now, it's interesting to think when you think about things like literally and literarily, like as we're talking about with temptations is the devil. Like, what have we learned about the devil? Like, what does the Bible say that we know versus what is culture and culture say about it and so like the name the devil like where does where does he get his name and you know the imagery of him yeah it's funny if you think the first time we meet the devil is back in genesis 3 so it's not like we wait till matthew to meet the devil you know we we, we see him referred to as um the serpent in genesis chapter 3 uh, and he goes by many names you know and darren you can bring some of the uh, the Greek and Hebrew behind the names, but, you know, he's referred to as, you know, the accuser or, or the tempter, uh, the evil one, the enemy uh, throughout scripture. And, and so we don't have a lot, a lot of this clarity that we want, um, you know, like the cartoon picture of him in the pitchfork, you know, we, we don't ever have that anywhere. Uh, but we do see that there's that, that he is the leader of darkness and, and, you know, he is the enemy, um, but yeah, it's really interesting when you think about his names. Yeah, the names, uh, there are three different uh, names for him here in these Gospels. I'm going to jump to the Matthew one because uh, it has all three for sure. I'm not, I don't remember the Luke passage as much. Um, but in, in this Matthew passage, the first one we get uh, is in ver- chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, he was to be tempted by the devil. The Greek word there is diabolos. And you can imagine, you know, diablo. Uh, is, is is a name for for the devil. And so that's where we get that name from. Um, later on, he's referred to as the tempter. And it, it's like a noun form of of the, the word to tempt or to test, perazzo, which we've already talked about. And the, the third one is he is named as Satan. And that is uh, in verse 10 of chapter 4 in Matthew. He says, get away from me, Satan. And that is, uh, that's a straight up Hebrew word that is spelled with Greek letters, satanas. Hmm. Uh, so the, the Hebrew is satan. And if you put a, a ha in front of ha, uh, satan, it becomes ha satan. That's the Satan, which means the accuser in Hebrew. And so when Jesus calls him Satan here, like they put a capital S there, but he's just using a, a Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for what they call this you know, ultimate evil being. So that's kind of the, the etymology behind all these words we use. That's interesting to think about with the different names and the ways we've come up with it over culture, especially it's like Halloween's approaching. You have little kids dressed up as little devils or demons knocking on your door or dressed in pinstripes. Is it, is with the ba- devil, little devils as a mascot or like red devils. Right. Well, like yeah. I'm a, I'm a Duke right. blue devil fan. I don't even know where they came up with that. <laughs> a blue devil. Like a blue devil's like old. I don't know. You're North Carolina. So, Right, right. Well, and I think a lot of our imagery of, of the devil and Satan has been influenced by art. So if you go back and you look at, you know, some of the different uh, mosaics that they found on churches and you go back and you look at some of the different Renaissance art, um, you, you see this kind of changing picture, you know, the, the devil, he's got wings or he's a skeleton or um, you move into uh, some of the more Renaissance pictures, you see 
you know, the devil, he looks like a monk, you know, dressed in a robe, but you can see he's got the feet of a, uh, of a lizard or a snake. And, um, you know, so there's just, I think a lot of what we think about the devil, he's become this cartoonish character in movies and, you know, and, and pictures, but a lot of it's been influenced by, uh, books and, and art along the way, which, you know, we get this picture of, we talk, joke about fair skinned Jesus, you know, obviously Jesus <laughs> was an olive skinned Hebrew man. Uh, you know, the devil isn't carrying a pitchfork and he's not red, you know, it's just a lot of these pictures get influenced by, by art, especially some of that Renaissance art. Yeah. One of the, the biggest influences on how, um, how modern people like us kind of think about heaven and hell and the devil and all this stuff is from Dante's Inferno. Um, <clears throat> it was, a uh, this is like an epic poem that was written, you know, by, uh, well, I'm going to hope it's Dante. <laughs> I, I, I'm not super familiar with the overall work itself, but I do know that our, our imagery comes from this, especially what hell is. Like some, uh, we, we imagine hell as some subterranean dungeon that's just filled with constant fire. Um, <clears throat> and and that, that's a combination of just a whole lot of different things that, that Dante writes into this this whole epic. Um and and the the devil is you know red. He's got horns. There's a pitchfork. He's got a tail with a spike on it. Like that. That's all Renaissance imagery. That the Bible just does not describe things in that much detail. The devil appears as 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 a snake, as a serpent. He appears in the spiritual form in God's court. Here we have no idea what he's actually like. And in Revelation, he's a dragon. Like there's no one set image for what. Um, this representative of ultimate evil, evil really is. Isn't there? Some, um, I joke some. Sorry, oh, go, go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. I was using with Dante's Inferno with like it's like the nine circles of hell. And I think yeah. I think there's part like, of us as a as a culture that we want there to be a worse hell for the worst people. And so there's a part that relates yeah. to it where it's like, yeah, like I right. you know the really worst people, I want them to be in that worst circle. Like, and then there's some people that they're kind of really nice, so I hope they're not in the worst one. Yeah, more towards right. the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, with uh. So that, yeah, that reminds me, like Dante's Inferno, I believe, uh, well, the whole Renaissance was based on the rediscovery of ancient Greek texts. And so when you have these Greek texts that talk about Hades and like the underworld, which is the Greek idea for, for just the place of the dead, it's like not the Christian idea of hell. It's not the biblical idea, idea of hell, even though the word is used like Hades. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there, there's all kinds of different nuances. And so as, as the Renaissance people rediscovered these ancient texts, they started to, th- this, this was based on, on that, based on Hades. Um, and so, yeah, when, when we think about that subterranean dungeon, like Hades is underneath, it is the ground. Um, what's the Jewish word for that? I can't, I can't really I forgot that. Yeah. Do, do you remember? Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember what it is. Um, but it's, is it, do it, Google search. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had some efforting music for you, Darren, yeah. right now. Zero. Well, Gehenom is the valley where Jesus yeah. talks about. Uh-huh. Jew- I'm just going to do Jewish word for Hades. It might be. Oh, Sheol. Of course. Yeah. That's oh, Sheol. Yeah. Yeah. Sheol. Yeah. 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 So Sheol is, it's, it's kind of like Hades, but it's just like the realm of the dead. Anyway, it, the Bible's all kinds of, it's not as clear as we want it to be with these sorts of things. Um, but I, yeah, I joke about sometimes, uh, I, I feel like there's a far side comic about this that I loved because <laughs> it so accurately represents what we think. It's like the, the top image is people coming into heaven and they're like, here's your harp. And the bottom is welcome to hell. Here's your harmonica. And it's just, 
right. representative of, of how, how Western people think. Like, what is heaven? I'm floating in some weird spiritual existence and playing a harp yeah. and singing my praise for thousands of years. Like, no. I mean, yeah, we're praising God because we're in his presence fully. But yeah, the different different ideas there. Interesting topics as we uh, as we wrap as we wrap this up, uh, Drew. Is there any uh, parting thoughts here as we uh, conclude this, like the temptations and tempting versus testing? You know, I think of Romans chapter three when when Paul is given this classic, you know, picture of the fact that because of sin, there's nobody righteous. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard we try, it doesn't matter how hard we we work to to do that. Um, but um, you know, there's just nobody's righteous on their own. Um, And the law reveals that to us. And so he says this, he says, but now in verse 21 of Romans three, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law because of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Christ Jesus. And so when Jesus came, it wasn't just that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. It, it was that, but it was, it's even more because Jesus came and he met and succeeded in all these temptations where we fail and he meets everything the law required that we could never meet and do on our own. And so Jesus lived a sinless life. He met all the requirements of the law and then gave his life on the cross to pay for the penalty of, of, uh, of sin and rose from the grave. And so it's this beautiful picture of, of like, Jesus came and did everything right for us where we have done it wrong. And now because of that, we now have the Holy Spirit in our life, like we said earlier, to help us live the fulfilled, abundant life now while we're here on earth. It's not just wait till heaven someday and everything's going to be fine then. Like, no, we're still going to experience brokenness and sin and pain now. But we now, because of Jesus, have the ability to live our best life here on earth and experience some of the beautiful glories that God created us to experience now. Um, and heaven is all going to be fulfilled in a beautiful way, but we can still experience many of those things now. So I, I think as Christians, let's just remember how beautiful, the beautiful reality that we can experience so much of the beauty that God has for us while we're here now. Absolutely. Pastor Darren ends any parting thoughts. Oh, I'll let us end on that thought. All that right. was good, Drew. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening, Pastor Drew Tarwater, Pastor Darren Enns. Thank you so much for your time. If you're listening to this and you want to reach out, you can feel free to reach out to us at life at forefrontchurch.tv. Send us thoughts, questions, whatever you want. Get connected with us. We'd love to hear from you. If you're at Forefront Church at Harvey Park sometime, there's the boxes in the back of the worship center. You're welcome to drop a note back there as well. So once again, I'm Rob and Thank you for listening. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.